Hello, y'all. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 102. Alright guys, so um, ready to do another one here. I found another great guest. Again, Podmatch has been very an amazing tool. Um, and the owner reached out to me and sent me the information and I signed up and I found so many great guests. And uh, this guy I was trying to get a hold of and we finally got in contact and um, he seemed like a really sweet person and he's got a lot going on, so I wanted to share his story. Um so yeah, you want to introduce yourself and just uh, tell a little bit about yourself. Hey, CJ. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you for having me on your program. It's most appreciated. Uh, my name is Kevin McShann. I'm 32 years old. I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. It simply means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. It affects things like my muscle memory, muscle movement. And muscle dexterity. One thing I uh, have always said about uh, uh, living with a disability, living with uh, cerebral palsy, is that I never allow my disability to define my limita- uh, limitations and how I live my life. Um, I uh, spent some time working uh, in inclusive employment for folks with uh, disabilities. Uh, both as a job developer and an ambassador for our pro- uh, program called the Discoverability Network, which I'm happy to get into later. Um, it's uh, and then I I also uh, host a podcast uh, called uh, Let's Have This Conversation, where I cover all angles of the news cycle, uh, from news, sports, and politics. Um, I also have a section on a, a a, pod, a podcast dealing with inclusion and diversity. Um, so, yeah, that's my story in a nutshell. I was born, uh, I have an identical twin brother. We were both born with uh, cerebral palsy. Uh, my brother Keith uh, grew out of his CP. It still affects things such as his handwriting, but other than that, uh, he lives a fairly normal life. Uh, yeah, that's my story in a nutshell. Um, so like in the, the very beginning, this is something you were born with, right? Uh, yeah. So i I was born, uh, three months premature. My birthday is in, in, in January. I was supposed to be, uh, born in March or, or towards the end of April, but I was born in January at birth. I think I weighed like three, uh, three to five pounds. Uh, and uh, my mother had to undergo a C-section because we were, uh, uh, we wa- wanted to come early. Uh, so, uh, just a quick story. So my dad uh, is American and my parents were in the tunnel, uh, coming back from Detroit to Windsor and my mother went into labor. So, uh, thankfully they made it across the river in time and, my brother and I are uh, Canadian kids, and that's my story. So, but yeah, I was born with uh, a spastic quadriplegia. Yeah. Um, do you think, like, as when you were young, did you think it had helped that your brother had the same thing, where you could you didn't feel maybe as alone, or did you still have that thought? Well, my brother grew out of his uh, cerebral palsy um, fairly early in life. Um, he. Um, had a fairly quote-unquote normal childhood uh, and I sort of uh, charted my own path and sort of um, wanting to uh, find my own sort of um, group of people to hang out with. Obviously, my brother uh, played an integral role in my upbringing. I mean, we shared the same ang at birth, so... um, you know, we have a, a special bond for sure. But I think uh, me and my brother are spend a lot of time together, but we're uh, our own individual people uh, for sure. I think that's important. Right. Um, so when was it, and I've asked this to many people with disabilities, but when was it, like, was it early on that you found out that you obviously were, were different from others? 
Uh, yeah, you know, I'll tell you uh, the story that I tell a lot of people when they ask me this question. You know, it was uh, 1998 uh, today, and I had just come back from uh, London, Ontario, and the uh, Times Valley Children's Hospital, which was the uh, place where I had all of my leg operations uh, for my hamstrings, and uh, the doctor that performed all of them. His name was Dr. Tim Carey, and he had put my parents and myself in a, a hospital conference room, and he had told them that that, uh, uh, that I had my last uh, leg surgery, that medically uh, the doctors had done everything I could uh, to help uh, manage or treat my condition, and then um, that I would probably be uh, in a situation where I wouldn't be able to walk without assistance. Uh, and then, you know, uh, they had sent my parents home, me and my parents home from London. And then, then I had to go back to school. And uh, the principal at the time, her name was uh, Dr. Carol Cruley. Uh, uh, she had come in our office and everyone assigned my file from social workers to therapists at, at the school at the time had called me in for a meeting and then I went into the situation that the doctor had told my parents, the principal, and she said, uh, she stopped me when I was in the middle of the story and she said, uh, the only limitations that you'll have in life are the ones that you place on your imagination as a sort of um, an inspiration or motivational tactics, uh, which I really think shape the way that I view the rest of my life. Because uh, then I had the opportunity to uh, make a decision. I was either going to wallow in my despair or, or pity about having a disability or I was going to be an agent of change and I'm trying to be an agent of change for everyone that I encounter. But I, I thank Dr. Cruley for her wisdom and knowledge in helping me sort of chart uh, the path uh, for the rest of my life. So I, I owe her a lot and a big thank you for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> um, so, what what was what was school like for you? Because I know um, early on, I mean, school was always bad for most people, whether you have a disability or not. Um, but obviously, with, with kind of your the way you speak, and and obviously having trouble walking and all that, were you kind of pigeonholed to certain classes, or because you're very with it, you're very smart, so you you know. But did, were you kind of discriminated against to push, put in certain classes, or were you able to just kind of go through regular, everyday classes? So I, um, I uh, for the most part, I was put into a mainstream schooling. I was taken out of class in certain instances and just for, like, video therapy or occupational therapy or speech therapy. But for the most part, I had a uh, mainstream uh, educational experience, so I am thankful for that. Um, uh, and I've tried to use it as an example because, you know, education, they often say, is the great equalizer, and I, I valued education because it was a chance for me to uh, sort of uh, level the playing field. You know, I often say that when you have a disability, you have to work 10 to 100 times harder than everybody else. Right. And I think education is uh, a tool in, in the toolbox that more people with uh, disabilities uh, should uh, utilize. And, uh, and, you know, I the reason I find so hard for people uh with disabilities to find work um, is I believe when you, uh, you know, TJ, I live my life through a model which I've coined to be uh, inclusion is the gateway to independence because I think we're all given a platform to tell our stories and, 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 and 
build our own uh, avenue of success or bridges of inclusion. But the, the fastest way you can do that for someone with a disability, uh, particularly in their adult life, is to give them a job. Because once you give them a job, you give them a sense of belonging. Uh, and part of my uh, um, mission living with a disability is pulling out uh, chairs at the table of inclusion for uh, people with disabilities because when you include them in the conversation, you get a more diverse perspective. So that's sort of uh, the mission that I have in life, to uh, pull out uh, chairs of inclusion at the table uh, so that people with disabilities or individuals with disabilities uh, can be included in a societal discussion on a larger scale. Yeah, no, I mean, what you said there about uh, finding places to feel where you belong and that, that translates in many ways because I think if you ask most people with disabilities, they'll tell you like how many they could count on one hand or two hands how many places they actually felt like they belonged. Um, and it is a shame that a lot of us are unemployed because uh, you, you I've noticed with people with disabilities, uh, me too, but you know, just people they're very loyal. When you give them a job, they go all in. They're very loyal. They're they're less likely to leave the job. They're more likely to put in more effort. They just need to you to understand and trust that they will figure it out however they will figure it out, whatever their condition is. And for you to just accommodate them in the way they need you to accommodate them. And once it's all figured out, then you will have a really good employee, a really good worker, um, and someone who's loyal to you. And um, I think a lot of people they look at it from the perspective of, okay, you're missing an arm. I can't do, I, I perceive myself that I couldn't do that with one arm. So you can't. And so then that's when the barrier comes in and that's when they make it hard. Whereas I think if you had someone on each, whatever council or whatever you want to call it, you know, on the board or whatever, and, and someone who has a disability to say, look, you know, just, do what they need you to, you know, give them the accommodations and then see if they can do it. If not, then maybe they won't work out because not every person with a disability is going to work out for every job. But if you give them a real opportunity and you really um, allow them to thrive in their comfort zone, you you know, you might be able to do something really amazing and then open your mind to uh, other possibilities. Yeah, you know, TJ, we did, when I worked for the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, we did a study and it found that 72% of uh, businesses who hire people with disabilities, they have a higher retention rate because people with disabilities want to prove that they belong and that they can do the, uh, the work. The study also found that uh, 92% of uh, it, uh, companies who hire or support people with disabilities um, um, when, uh, when they hire or support people with disabilities the consumers uh, support those businesses at a 92% uh, higher clip and you know one of the questions when I worked in inclusive employment I would always get is how much money is this going to cost me to accommodate someone with a disability? And we also found that right. 80, 80% of accommodations for people with disabilities don't have to be made at all. Uh, and for those that do, 80% of them uh, cost less than 500 bucks. And they can be as simple as the raise time of a desk, the use of assisted software or a headset. So, uh, it's all about creating, you know, I interviewed someone earlier uh, and they said to me, uh, can you have inclusion without diversity? And she said, yes, but when you create, you can, um, uh, you can create opportunities. Uh, the fast the fastest way to include someone in the workplace with a disability is if you create the opportunity, they'll find the way uh, to uh, be successful 
in uh, the job that you give them. But the first step starts with uh, creating the opportunity in the first place. So, yeah. you know, one of the things that I live by today is that collaboration breeds uh, creativity in more ways than one. And I think that's uh, poignant in the fact that uh, people with disabilities have always had to uh, solve problems or create avenues of um, uh, acceptance uh, when it comes to their everyday lives. So <clears throat> when you look hiring people with disabilities, not only are your training costs down, uh, your liability costs are also down, uh, and then your uh, productivity is also up. So it's a win-win, you know. When I worked on the Discoverability Network, which was the province of Ontario's new online job matching portal, uh, for folks with disabilities and employers to get connected. You know, the, the tagline or motto for the project was uh, seize the opportunity, uh, opportunity uh, to advance your business. And I think if more people and uh, companies would ad uh, adopt that philosophy, uh, they uh, in instantly would gain a competitive edge over their competition for sure. Yeah. And I think like one of the things I always hear um, like from employers and not, this has nothing specifically to do with people with disabilities, but it is like, we want to boost morale around here. Um, and when you see somebody uh, with a disability who's working and they're overcoming and everyone else around them does not have a disability, it does motivate other people to go, wow. Okay. Because for instance, I, I am legally blind. I am not totally blind. I have some sight. And I worked with a blind guy. He, me and him are friends. Um, we don't really work together anymore, but we, you know, we're still in contact. And I worked with him, and I was kind of in a low self-esteem mindset. I was really down on myself. I was really just kind of in a place where I didn't care. I mean, I got a job. I wanted to get some money, but I didn't really care about life. I was trying to figure things out. And so I was working with him. They put me with this guy and he's totally blind and you know, I'm not judging him or anything, but he was working and he was working really hard. And I'm sitting there just kind of like, oh, I mean, I want to learn, but somewhere around there, I just was like, wow, this guy's amazing. And I'm going to get my ass kicked at this job. If I don't, you know, I, you know, again, maybe it's the guy thing in me and it's the bravado and the overly, you know, just getting confidence, whatever. But the morale, it boosted in me where I was just like, wow, like I have to work at his level because I'm not going to, you know, let him kick my ass at this because, you know, I'm younger and, you know, I want to I want to be able to succeed, too. And this guy is just like he motivated me to do more. Um, and, you know, I, it morphed me into a better worker and so on. But it's like, you know. And part of what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, all these percentages and because I know a lot of us probably see the 75% of us are unemployed and that looks like a mountain that we can't, you know, overcome because it's like, well, 75% of us, there's a lucky 25 and, but, you know, when we go into these jobs, the ones that are working and, and are lucky enough to find jobs and, and fight for them, when you see them get those jobs they're also trying to prove to themselves that they can do it because there's there's a there's a deep down voice that's saying oh, I can't do this because I'm disabled, but when they actually figure it out, you know they're not just trying to prove to their supervisor or to the, the bosses above. They're proving it to themselves as well. And when they actually succeed at it, it's like it, something locks in and it's like oh okay I belong here. I not just I belong in this workplace, but I belong just out here working in the real world because some of us are so we're trying to find a way to get out into the real world, quote unquote. And, um, so, and again, like I said, back to the morale thing, like when we actually, when you put people around us, we, and again, I'm not, it's not everybody, not everybody. There's a lot of shitty workers, regardless of disability or not, or color or any of that. But when you see people around people with disabilities, it's like, well, I got to pick myself up because I have it easier than this person and they're not allowing it to stop them. So I need to try harder. Yeah, you know, uh, TJ, uh, as you were going through that, but I, I was thinking uh, that's a new definition of what I like to call pride and ownership. Because when you have pride in what you're doing, uh, you'll take care of it uh, like 
you're you're building a house because you're building a foundation for the rest of your life. So absolutely. Right. And, and, and to be honest, when you start to work, cause I've worked with many people with different disabilities and stuff. And I loved it because I love the challenge of trying to find a way to kind of cement them into the, the position and figure out how we can create synergy and work together. Um, I have a friend who I've talked about here before um, named John, and he has like one arm, one and a half. Oh, what's that? Um, and it's oh, like, sorry, yeah. you're good, buddy. And it's like short and it's like against his shoulder. So he has one arm, but like, I was like, okay, how do we incorporate him? And we always found ways. And the same with the blind guy. And again, with my vision problem, and there was just people with different issues. And we figured a way to kind of work together. And we didn't, we didn't look at it like, oh my God, well, we can't work with this person. Cause we all are on the same page. We all have been told that we can't do something. So we work together. And then there was others who do have sight and it's like, okay, wow, these people are, are great. They're doing this. Now again, not everybody reacted to that way, but we motivated each other. Cause some of them were down and like, oh, I can't do this. And it's like, look, I'm going to ask you, I want you to help me. I need your help. And they're like, oh, do you? It's like, yeah, because I don't care about your disability. I just want you to put your effort in because some days I'm going to be dragging ass and I'm going to be tired and I might not have the effort that I had yesterday and I need you to pick up the slack where I'm lacking today and I know you can do it. It doesn't matter your disability. It doesn't matter what people tell you you can't do. I believe you can. Um, and if you, you kind of put that affirmation into them, it, they, it lights them up and they want to work harder. Um, and again, I, it's a, it's a real belief. That's why I, I try so hard to reach the disability community. Cause there's so many of us that feel like we can't do it. And look, I go back and forth with it and I'm working and I have a podcast and I'm doing a lot of other things, but I still, my mental health and, and all the things that I've been told that I couldn't do still hit me sometimes. Um, but I, I don't want people to feel like they can't work or they can't go to regular schools or they can't date or they can't do whatever. Um, because, again, interviewing people like you who just, you have every reason to say, no, nah, I don't want to do anything, but you continue to keep moving. And that's that's what's so special about, like, the warriors that I call them in the disability community who just, because I think most of us are. We, we overcome, even whether we're working or dating or whatever, we, every day we get up with some issue and we say, I don't give a shit. Even if, even if I don't want to get out of bed, I have to get out of bed because I have to do something. And they just keep going and keep going. And it's like, that's, that's inner strength that most people don't understand or comprehend that we have. Yeah, TJ, you know, I, I like to think of it as a priorities in life. We make uh, time for the things that are important to us. And for people with disabilities, there has to be an internal motivation to succeed because uh, the society and, uh, and, and like you said, the roadblocks that are put up uh, to, to uh, deter uh, achievement for folks with disabilities are are vast, and you have to sort of have your own internal uh, sort of uh, checklist of things that you want to personally. Uh, commit yourself to because I think for anyone, just that for someone with a disability, uh, you have to be uh, what I call invested in the process because if you're partially invested in a process, then, then you're affected by its outcome, right? So when people are, uh, uh, individuals with disabilities are going through the employment process, it's difficult uh, for sure. Uh, I'll tell you that, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. You know, the reason I started uh, my podcast was because I was about to sign a contract to go back to the Ontario Chamber of Commerce uh, to resume my role as ambassador uh, for the Discoverability Network. And then a week before uh, I was supposed to start, uh, COVID hit. And my contract was suspended. Uh, and then I, I had the opportunity to uh, sort of reinvent myself. Uh, that's something I think people with disabilities do 
on a regular basis is reinvent themselves because they're constantly trying to reach a bar or a standard that society says they have to meet. And, you know, one of the things I tell myself is the only standard I have to meet is my own because if you set your own individual standard, because I always say that everyone's portrait of success is different. Uh, and the first thing you have to do is, is build yourself up to, to your own individual standard in order to uh, find success in whatever you do, whether it's employment, whether it's life, or whether it's socially. You have to build your own standards and environments for success. And I think if people with disabilities would follow that uh, mod- motto, uh, I think a lot of them, uh, a lot of the mental blockage uh, of the societal norms they feel they have to meet would be eliminated because they, they believe that uh, uh, their own standard of success is the end goal, the end goal, or the uh, pawn at the end of the rainbow, so to speak. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like for instance, you know, it, it's kind of like you know. We're, we're told what our ceiling is. And so it's like, well, 75% of you don't work. And so then when you actually have a job, you're like, well, I succeeded in life. And it's like, no, you're doing great, but there's so much more you can do. Or like you graduated high school or graduated college. It's like, yeah, but you, you still have to re- live the rest of your life. You still have to strive for more. You still have to try to make change and use your voice and all that. And so when we look at what our what the norm is for us, obviously the bars, the ceiling is so low. So that when we break through it, sometimes we kind of get stagnant and go like, well, I, I succeeded. I'm good now. And it's like, no, you, you have to keep moving. You have to set the bar much higher. It doesn't matter what society says the bar is for you. Your bar is your own bar and you know what you can and can't do. So go with it um, because the limitations that are set on you are not necessarily the limitations that you have in, in real life. You know, like for me, I can't. I can't drive. I know that, but that doesn't mean I can't do anything else. And, you know, I took a while for me to realize that because so many people was like, well, you can't see. So why would I trust you with a hammer or with this or with that? And it's like, okay, I can do anything I want as long as I figure out how it works for me and how I acclimate it, you know, for my life. And, you know, that's what a lot of it, that's what we have to do. We have to stop looking at what we feel is, you know, these, all these barriers, these, you just got to knock them over or, or find an alternate route around it because they're never going to stop. But when you do succeed at it, you accomplish something and you did it at a much, you know, you did it with all these restrictions in, in mind and in your way that you, you, you have to appreciate the journey more and you earned your position. You earned whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. You, you earned it so much more than the average person because you had to go through that. Um, and it's not just like, oh, I graduated college. It's like, yeah, you graduated college, but look what you ha- look at all the accommodations and all the things, but look how many people told you you couldn't do it. And now you did it now go on to the next thing. Um, yeah, it's, uh, so b- before we kind of, cause I want to, I want to kind of delve into like what you do and all that and podcasts and everything, but can you kind of tell people on like a daily basis, like how your condition affects you so that, you know, the average person who is going through what you're going through, they kind of don't feel alone. So like, yeah. So how does it affect you? Yeah, sure. No problem. I'll answer that in just a second, but I just want to circle back to uh, the last comments you, uh, comments you made. Sure. Uh, you know, today I also uh, believe that, that you can either, work for your circumstances or, or you can make your circumstances work uh, for you. You know, from a young age, uh, you know, anyone who cared about me would always would always tell me that your vision of doing things uh, and the way you accomplish them um, are going to look different than uh, uh, your friends or, or other members of your family because you have another or or a different mountain to climb to reach a success level, but that doesn't mean that 
you won't be successful and it'll just look a little bit different. So uh, again, uh, uh, segueing into your uh, uh, next question, I think making your circumstances work for you uh, and it'll be different for everybody else because uh, levels of uh, disabilities are are different uh, for everybody. Uh, But I think making your circumstances work for you instead of working for your circumstances is key. Now, in terms of my own personal disability, um, it affects things like uh, endurance or my ability to stand for long periods of time um, and sort of uh, getting around. Um, I use an electric wheelchair. I have a walker. I crawl at the age of 32 to get around my house. Uh, But I think, again, it's all... You, you know, we've all heard the saying that perception is reality. Uh, and what, what people with disabilities have to do is turn their perceived perception into their best reality. And what I mean by that is you have to uh, weigh your circumstances to a point and say, okay, I have this, uh, um, I have this, barrier to inclusion, what are, what are the fastest ways and most creative ways and most efficient ways that I can uh, eliminate barriers? And, you know, uh, for me, uh, being a journalist um, and, and the pandemic has um, uh, weirdly helped me in the sense that people are used to doing Zoom calls and letting you into their home and allowing you to ask questions and it, so from my perspe- perspective it, it allows me to diversify not only the content that I uh, produce on my podcast and and as a journalist but it also provides me a chance to to get uh, to gain. Uh, diversity of perspective, and I think for anyone, uh, diversity in perspective in life is a good thing because we all don't have the same ans- answers to solve problems or create solutions. And, and you know, one of the things I live by today is the day you stop learning is the, is the day that you die. Because I believe that all people have a uh, opportunity to be successful in life. But that starts with listening and then absorbing the information and then uh, making sure that, that, you know, I always say say that it's important to have uh, a circle of people that you trust. And, uh, you know, uh, once you have a circle of people that you trust, uh, you can make informed and educated decisions. So when I look at my disability, it's all a matter of perception and the ways that um, uh, I perceive it because society would tell me that I already have a built-in barrier to achievement. So my job when looking at my disability is how do I eliminate uh, barriers to achievement that I can put my best foot forward and to be judged on the merits of my content in which I'm, I'm producing, whether it be professionally as a journalist or personally as a person, how am I being viewed based on the content of what I'm putting out versus the physical limitations of my disability? Right. <clears throat> um so obviously, I mean, there's been, you know, tough times and you have to get to a place to where to want to take care of yourself before you want to help others. Was there a certain incident or a certain just thing in your life that happened where you really wanted to do more for people with disabilities, whether it's your own experience or something you saw someone else go through? Well, yeah, the best way I can answer that question is uh, through the lens of employment. Uh, because I've gone through it personally. Uh, and I've gone through laws of, of employment where 
uh, I haven't been employed, and uh, and I know how uh, difficult it is to sort of cut through the red tape. So I've dedicated my adult life to making sure that I provide avenues of inclusion in in the space of employment, because I think uh, for people with disabilities, uh, I don't have to tell you about the numbers. I think you're well aware of the numbers of the, the uh, amount of people with disabilities who are under or, or unemployed. Uh, and, and I think we all have to be sort of rowing in the same direction. And I think in order to do that, uh, education of employers are important. You know, today, October, we just finished uh, with the National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Huh. And while I'm grateful that uh, we've designated a month to do that, I think it's also important to remember that it's an ongoing conversation. So you ask me, what are my passions in life? And what are my, uh, what was the trigger point for me to want to make a difference? And it's the fact that, uh, again, uh, the notion of inclusion, and the only way you do that is from an adult perspective, um, is providing access to opportunities in terms of employment. So one of the things that I work on is looking for guests to talk to uh, from a journalistic perspective in, in sort of creating the environment where employers can watch the podcast or, or listen to a speech I give about inclusion. Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and say, uh, if I uh, implement X, Y, and Z strategy and incorporate people with disabilities, it actually makes my job as an employer uh, easier because people with disabilities are accustomed to uh, risk management or juggling uh, expectations or coming up with a pathway of saying, well, this is this way because, or, or I have to overcome this. So when you put that in the context of employment, Mm -hmm. you're actually doing employers a favor if, if you're someone with a disability because you're routinely um, asked to solve problems or come up with solutions or or come up with a new way of looking at innovation. So that's a long way of saying no, for me it's about <laughs> for me it's about inclusion uh, when it comes to all aspects of life and and for me employment of those individuals with disabilities. Uh, is a, a big piece to that discussion for sure. Well, I appreciate what you're trying to do because it's the same thing. I feel the same way where, I, you know, you use your past experiences so and, and you project it on other people and you go, I don't want other people to go through what I just went through. I don't want people to be as angry as I am. I don't want people to be as sad as I am. I don't want people to be as humiliated as I am for the rejection and just even when you do get a job where you're, you know, kind of, you could just tell there's something off and you're treated a little differently and there's stuff, a lot of subliminal things that you can't really prove. Um, but there's so many things that go into it. And it's like, I don't want people to go through that. Like even, even with just the podcast alone, like I don't want people to have to go through where you have to like fight to try to uh, convey the community that you belong to, to understand like, Hey, we got to fight more. We have to speak up. We have to go out and get jobs. We have to try harder because if we don't, the next generation, the generation after that is going to struggle. And, and your kids, if they have disabilities, they're going to struggle. And, you know, it's, it's always, 
the people who are like you and I and, and a lot of people I've interviewed, it's like we're, we're trying to do what we're doing in whatever way we're doing. It doesn't have to be a podcast. It could be anything. We're doing it so the rest of us don't, you know, that the next people that are trying, the next group of people don't have to go through what we have to. We didn't have to struggle for every aspect because, you know, we, we, we you know, we're used to fighting. We're used to struggling for things. We're used to having to make life work for us. But if we all put in the same amount of effort as you and I and so many others, we can really make change. Um, and I always appreciate the people like you that are just like, look, I don't, I don't want others to go through this because this sucks. Um, yeah, I'm proud of where I am at now, but I don't want to go through that again. I don't, I don't want to have to fight just to get people to listen to me on a podcast because, you know, I want people to just come on here and have a disability and, you know, do a YouTube channel, blog, whatever, and people just listen to them. It doesn't matter what they look like or what they sound like or, or whatever. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, a lot of Yeah, sorry guys, we got we got disconnected, but you were gonna say something. No, I, I was just saying that I think that uh, when we look at um, people with disabilities and society in general, a lot of people, you know, uh, I think we would be further along if we looked for bridges of inclusion instead of uh, and and sort of bridging the divide instead of only burning bridges you know a lot of uh, the the time you know in today's society we're so quick to be an instant gratification sort of realm or live in that realm instead of opening our mind to a different perspective you know we can disagree as people uh but we can respect opinions and I think when we take it to the lens of disabilities, if we find uh, discovered ways to um, br build bridges and, uh, and bridging divides instead of always looking for uh, the, the artificial reason not to do something, I think it, it's uh, better in that sense because then the conversation can start, right? So Right. And in the same token, like we have to look at people who don't have these problems, you know, people who have chronic illnesses or blindness or whatever. Like clearly the average person doesn't know what that's like to go through. They don't know how much pain you're actually in. They don't know what visually you can see or hear or so the average person is ignorant to what's going on. And there are people that are susceptible to wanting you know, they want to hear what you have to say or what you go through. It's just sometimes we're so guarded that we are just like, well, no one understands, no one cares, and it's not always the case. Um, and yeah, and you just you just don't know what someone's going through. And again, especially with all of these invisible disabilities, where from the outside, it doesn't look like you're going through much. Even just mental health, like you don't know if someone's depressed or suicidal unless they're projecting it outwards and saying, yes, I want to kill myself or I'm sad. Um, or you can see it on their face or whatever, but in, for the most part, like there's a lot of things you just can't tell unless they're in braces or wheelchairs or whatever. You really don't know what someone's going through physically or mentally. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of the whole thing with, like with men and women when they argue and, you know, they always get in the arguments. It's like, well, I can't read minds. Well, you can't really read minds, but you also can't read really what pain you're going through. You can't read any of that. So, um, you know, we, that's again, that's that's why it's so, so you have to be more uh, vocal about what you're going through. And I know so many people with disabilities are so kind of ashamed of what they have or what they lack or what they go through. And that's something we have to change because just because you're, you're missing something or, or whatever, something you cannot do, that doesn't mean you're not special. It doesn't mean you aren't a great person. It doesn't mean you are any different. I mean, you're different, but you're different in good ways. Um, and so, yeah, we have to be more vocal about what we and be more proud of what we have because you know just because you have a disability doesn't mean you're you're really broken and doesn't mean you're not human yeah you know today i i also look at uh having a disability as like uh similar to a 
uh, dating experience because, you know, uh, the reason I say that is because when you know what you want, um, when you date someone, it's easier to sort of uh, cut through the filter of the stuff that you go through that that you don't want to go through. And going uh, through life with a disability is a, is a similar circumstance because you then understand that um, you know what you want and you know how to pursue what you want. And, you know, I always say that obtaining a success does not have have to be an onerous process as long as you have a clear desire and, and vision of your desired results. And I think when uh, you look at people with disabilities, they have to work harder to cut through the noise, yes, but they also are more efficient in determining what it is they want because they may not, they may only have one opportunity to uh, determine where they're going to put their stake in the road, and it helps to have uh, increased clarity when you go through that process. Yeah, exactly. Um, so obviously, you know, your disability is—it it doesn't define you. It is—it's a part of you. So, well, what did what did you do in sports? Because obviously, you have to live. You have to do. You know, you have to have a life outside of just well, I have a disability. Um, and, and you're a person that doesn't let it define you. So uh, what did you do with you – know, were you a sports journalist? What were you doing? Yeah, so I uh, covered sports uh, in college uh, as a sports reporter. I went to school to become a sports reporter. Um, and, you know, I developed a relationship with uh, Dan Miller, who is the radio play-by-play voice of – the Detroit Lions, and he's also the uh, uh, sports director over at uh, WJBK Fox 2. Is he miserable uh, and, right now? Is he miserable uh, right well, now since they're 0-9? Uh, well, they're 0-8-1. Oh, and right, one. That's right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, Dan, um, he uh, was – instrumental in sort of being sort of a sports or a journalism role model because um, he grew up with his mother having a disability. I believe she had uh, multiple sclerosis. And he looked at me when I interviewed him at a coffee shop and he said, if you ever need anything in college or anything at all, uh, always feel free to email me because uh, I'm, I'm open to having a conversation. And That's so, yeah, it, it, yeah, in sports, uh, Dan would certainly be um, be one of my uh, biggest role models. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I covered sports. Uh, I also covered sports uh, for five years. Uh, when I co- when I hosted a podcast called the Two Man Advantage Podcast, I interviewed uh, obviously Dan. And I've also interviewed uh, 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 some former uh, Michigan Wolverines. I interviewed uh, former uh, Michigan State quarterback uh, Connor Cook. Um, I've also interviewed uh, Brian Abazolo, who's who is a contested on The Bachelor, uh, through my new podcast, I've had a chance to interview uh, the director of sales and corporate partnerships for the Toronto Blue Jays, Mark Palmer. I've also interviewed um, a former uh, NFL tight end, um, Chase Kaufman, and a couple of offensive linemen. And, you know, I've, all, I've always looked through my uh, uh, sports career or my journalism career to always um, interview people and always find a way to ask them questions about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, 
you know, I recently interviewed a guy. His name is uh, Dave Holcombing Rice for uh, Sports Illustrated. Um, and he covers the Atlanta Falcons. And one of the things we talked about was uh, diversity in sports broadcasting because he had brought up the fact that um, when he goes into the press box, all he sees primarily covering the Falcons is middle-aged white guys. Um, And he had made the point that he would want uh, better representation in the press box. And I think diversity in sports and diversity in all workplaces are important. So uh, sports is uh, what what I'm rooted in, um, but I also think that inclusion, uh, equity, and diversity also plays a major role in sports. So the reason, uh, I'll just give you a quick story. The reason I wanted to become a journalist uh, first, first and foremost, was I w- wanted uh, to create a platform to give people uh, the chance to tell their stories that wouldn't otherwise have a platform. So that's one of the driving reasons to why uh, I became a journalist. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing for me. Uh, what's your ties with Michigan? Because I know you live in Canada. So what's the ties with Michigan? Yeah, so uh, my dad is actually originally from Detroit, okay. um, so I I have some uh, family in Detroit. Um, I also have developed uh, some relationships uh, with some uh, columnists and sports reporters over in the States. So uh, the good thing about the internet, um, it also levels the playing field as you're allowed or able to talk to uh, people from all walks of life. So I interview people from Michigan. I've interviewed people from California as far away as England and and, um, uh, Costa Rica. Uh, So the good thing about the Internet and for people with disabilities um, and the good thing about the, the emergence of technology is it allows people with disabilities to... Uh, uh, have a better or more increased way of uh, communicating their story. So it's important. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> so how long have you been doing the podcast and what was your initial, like why, why did you want to get into this? Uh, so the podcast that I'm currently doing, I've done since uh, May of 2020. Okay. Um, like I said, uh, it it was started because I was laid off or suspended from a job because of COVID. And I've actually uh, been using uh, the podcast to apply for uh, more journalism jobs and, uh, and keeping the content relevant and up to date. And, and uh, so I've used it uh, to, uh, apply for jobs and to lengthen my journalism resume and to make sure that um, I'm putting uh, uh, an updated foot forward, so to speak, uh, because of my disability, it's hard for me to travel. Uh, so I use the podcast not only as a, a social outlet, but also a way to um, uh, uh, expand my resume. So uh, the, the podcast I started in part because I had lost a job and I wanted to use it as a vehicle for my next uh, professional opportunity. And it also, as I said before, acts as a, a social inclusion uh, uh, avenue for me to engage in conversation, not only about what the people that I interview do do for a living would also engage uh, with them about aspects of their social life and personal life to uh, to bring sort of a more human element uh, to uh, the people that I talk to. Right. Yeah. I mean, actually, you started about a month before I did. I started about late June, 
of 2020. And, you know, I, as I was telling you off air, like, you know, I, I started it not really knowing what I was, I mean, you kind of had an idea of yours, like what you wanted it to be about, <clears throat> or as far as the direction, kind of helping you out with other jobs. But for me, I was just trying to get my voice out there and trying to just help as many people as I can talk about mental health and stuff. And just along the line, like it's a year over a year now, and it's just developing into something else and creating opportunities that I never thought was possible all by just, <clears throat> excuse me, putting my voice out there. And, and, uh, you know, they say, if you put good energy into the world, it'll come back to you. And I'm starting to kind of realize that's true. Um, I always wanted to, you know, I always fantasized of wanting to help people and, you know, I always said I wanted to help people, but I didn't know what that meant. I just, you know, someone would say, well, what do you want to do to help people? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, and doing this and just meeting all these great people like yourself and, and others. And I just, you know, I'm always blown away about what people go through because I only know my story. I only know the pain that I've went through physically and mentally. And, um, and it's just so amazing to, to share all these stories and, and just kind of you know, become tighter and make the community closer in even my little small part that I can do. Um, and when I, uh, when I do it, it's just, it's very, it's very therapeutic for myself, battling mental health and being depressed and dealing with anxiety and all that. And when I interview people like you and others, and it's like, man, like there's, there's people going through worse. There's people going through the same, there's people, whatever, but we're here, we're fighting. And I realize now, like, the more I speak and the more I do these podcasts, I know that, uh, you know, my voice matters when it never really did. And that was kind of the goal. I wanted to, I want people, people to listen to me. Not that I always have something great to say. It was just to be heard is something that a lot of us strive for. Or most people strive for. So, um, and since I'm using it for good, uh, you know, I feel good what I'm doing. So, you know, I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Yeah, you know, building uh, communities of support uh, open up the floodgates of, of building uh, camaraderie and understanding. So, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what's your podcast called again? It's called Let's Have This Conversation. If you guys want to find it, just type in Let's Have This Conversation on YouTube. And then my name, which is uh, Kevin McShane, you spell my last name. M-C-S-H-A-N. You can also find all of my content for the podcast on my website, uh, com, and all of my social media channels are there as well. That's great. Yeah, I will subscribe later on. Um, one of the things, I mean, I love the title because it kind of, it could be the same title for this podcast as well because there's times I've had conversations that need to be had. Um, there's so many, we're so distracted, especially with COVID and, and just all of, I mean, here in the States, all it is is bitching about masks and, uh, you know, whatever, like whatever side you land on, that's what you land on. But it always ends up political. Well, DJ, if you want, if you want to start a debate, just start and just uh, bring up this topic for sure. It'll spark debate and conversation, buddy. Oh yeah. And it, it, again, even if you don't get like you give a neutral opinion if you don't kind of crap on the other side you're on that side it's it, it's so silly and we we kind of don't listen to each other anymore and we just we just wait for the other person to stop talking and then we just kind of babble about our thing and you know we need there's a lot of conversations that need to be had worldwide and you know it, it's great that people are having it like i said with you talking to all these different people and having you know conversation about inclusion and all that because people don't um want to have it i know a lot of people with disabilities that don't even fight for inclusion for people with disabilities they're busy fighting for inclusion for women or black people or gay people and it's like man don't forget you have a disability let's let's keep that in the air um and you just you just got to continue to have important conversations because if they don't have them then it's as if they don't exist Yeah, you know, TJ, I always look at disabilities as it's a part of your it's a part of your story, but it's not a part of your uh, defined expectation. And what I mean by that is you can use your disability to your advantage, or you can use it to your detriment. 
uh, and it, yes, it's a part of your story, uh, but it, it can also be a, a part of your defined level of excellence. And if you look at ways to exploit your disability for good, you can also, like you said earlier, uh, teach others to have a broader perspective on a, a larger number of issues. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, man, I, I appreciate you for coming on. You're a really fun guy to have on and um, I know you and I will keep in touch. And again, like I said, I guess I'll be on your show at some point. Um, yeah, we'll get that going. And uh, today, just before uh, we wrap up, I want to thank you uh, for having me on your show, show and providing me your platform to further the, the, uh, the discussion on inclusion. And I hope I've provided your audience with uh, useful, useful information and I look forward to uh, staying in touch. And I want to thank you for the time, buddy. It's much appreciated. Yeah, of course. And well, like I said before, I want to cover every condition I can cover. I don't think I've done yours yet. And it, it, it I don't have to cover everybody. If I, I mean, there's so many. But, you know, I want people, there's, there's people out there that are like you and are going through the same thing. And they don't feel like you exist. And with you putting your voice out there, being brave and just being who you are, there may be some kid or some whatever hears this and it goes, wow, okay, Kevin's like me and, and I'm not alone. And um, that's kind of the whole purpose because, like I said, we all at one point or another feel alone and, and we just we don't realize the possibilities and, and the magnitude of how many people are really out there that are just like us and going through the same thing and they're struggling. It's just when you're going, when you're in through your mental fog and you feel like you're alone, there's no way of talking yourself out of it. And like I said, people like you need to exist so that others don't feel the way they do. Well, yeah. And the last thing I will say uh, today is that uh, mental health, I think, is uh, very important. I think that whether you have a disability or whether you don't, I think uh, managing or, or, or treating your mental health is important for all of us because uh, we all have different coping mechanisms and we all uh, respond to life and uh, life events differently. And certainly uh, the, the value of the, the pandemic has shown us that uh, uh, the, the value of human connection is, is an important thing. So I think if you know someone uh, uh, in your life, whether they have a disability or or they don't, their mental health can um, be a deterrent to progress if they're not if they don't manage it properly or they don't have a community of support uh, like we talked about earlier. So I think checking in on your neighbors or people with disabilities to check on their mental state is also equally as important and I want people to value their mental health and value the fact that uh, uh, the world is a, is a interesting place and I think uh, for anyone listening to this if they've listened to nothing else the last thing I'll say is that inclusion of all is the, the fastest way to build bridges of understanding so if you know someone or want to get involved in helping people who need uh, social support uh, because, you know, people with disabilities, a lot of it, uh, 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 you know, there are certain points uh, in my own own journey where I, I, I struggle with social isolation. So that, that's just a, a, a bigger or more broad way to, to say that, um, Extending an arm of support, uh, support, or a listening ear for conversation is very important. Right. Well, like I said, doesn't matter how strong you are, you can still struggle mentally. And you know, I will, I will definitely check on you from time to time because I try to do that with everybody because it's good to know everyone's doing okay. Because we're not always, you know, like I said, no matter how strong we are, no matter how good our life is, sometimes we kind of go off the forbidden path and we kind of wander off into these places of negativity or sadness and so uh i guess we're gonna keep in touch i'm definitely gonna check on you from time to time and like i said i appreciate you for coming on 
Yeah, thanks for the time, CJ, and for the conversation. It was most appreciated, Bonnie, and I want to wish you all the very best with your uh, podcast, and I look forward uh, to reversing the roles and me having the opportunity to interview you on my podcast. So uh, thanks again for the time, and I look forward uh, to staying in touch, buddy. Of course, same here. Anytime, buddy. You need something, just, just message me. Uh, and I, I wish you nothing but the best as well, and uh, we'll talk. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks for listening to the conversation. All right, brother. Take care. All right, guys, that was fun. Stupid Facebook and its connection issues. But let's hear. Sne- I was gonna say he's snapping. He's napping. Um. Yeah, another great conversation. Um, we're rounding out the year here, which it's weird for me to say because I'm doing this in 2021, and this is a 2022 episode. So I might need to stop before I go too far ahead, but I keep finding so many great people. Damn it. <clears throat> I'm addicted. I'm a fiend for guests. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, I got to finish Christmas shopping and I got to stop looking at shoes for myself because I'm spending hundreds of dollars on these things and I got to stop. Uh, I'll never get my credit card down if I keep buying them. Not that it's crazy high right now, but I actually get, I got it to a low point and I just continue to keep buying shoes. And there's two pairs in December that I need to get. The Cool Gray 11s. You can look them up, Jordan Cool Gray 11s. Those are a must. And uh, the Patent Lever Jordan 1s I'll probably be getting. So... For those who know nothing about it, just Google image and you'll see what they look like. But their neither shoe is very cheap and I probably won't get it for retail. So I have to pay extra. Anyway, that's more money out of my pocket. Um, and uh, so I got to stop looking at shoes. Uh, I've, I've already spent a few hundred dollars on Christmas gifts already. Um, so I'm going to spend some more. And I got to buy Bullet a gift. Don't tell him. He's sleeping, but don't tell him. I'm going to buy him a nice uh, cat tree, one of those big ones, so that he could just perch up by the window because he likes to sit up on the, the windowsill and look out, but he doesn't really have a whole lot of room because he's a little on the chunky side. Don't tell him I said that. Um, but, you know, so I want him to be able to kind of relax up there. So, um, But, yeah, guys, um, I hope you guys, oh, this is weird. I'm talking about Christmas, and it's, when this comes out, it's going to be like fucking May. But... <laughs> I hope you guys do have a good Christmas or had a good Christmas and I hope you have a good 2022 um, or having a good 2022. And uh, yeah, guys, let's uh, let's get to the outro, shall we? And I will see you guys on the next one. I'm so awkward. <laughs> see you guys later. Have a good day.